You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today my guest is Robert Popper. Now, not all of you will be familiar with Robert's name, but you'll certainly know his work as well as being the writer and creator of Friday Night Dinner, now in its sixth season on Channel 4. He's also partly responsible, co-responsible with Peter Serafinowicz for one of my favourite ever comedy shows, Look Around You, a spoof science show. Uh, And even that description doesn't do it justice at all. Um, It's a wonderful, wonderful piece of work, most of which you can now find on YouTube. So do search Look Around You for a sort of 70s uh, science lesson. Um, Also, he has had multiple bestseller books with the Time Waster letters. He also likes spending his spare time ringing into people's online uh, uh, radio phone-ins and uh, and sort of wasting their time in a very, very funny way. He's also written for South Park. He's been a commissioning editor for Channel for comedy. He's done pretty much everything. He's, he's produced seasons three and four, I think, of Peep Show. Um, and uh, it, it is just such a privilege to engage with his uh, marvellous comic brain. So that's all coming up in a second. I just quickly want to thank a few of you. Uh, Melanie Matthews and Perry Patterson have, in the last week, upped their subscription payments to the Insiders Club, uh, which is very kind. Lots of you have been uh, clustering, what's the phrase, rallying around the podcast at this time of uh, live comedy uh, disappearing and I have been using that extra a little bit of extra income to buy me time to create a pretty exciting project which I'll tell you more about in the middle of this episode Um, new subscribers this week are Craig Humphrey Benedict Baldwin Craig Rose Chris Doyle and Jane Hayward Uh, thank you so much for joining the Insiders Club I hope you've managed to access all of the the extra content uh, which I'll get onto in a second Neil Peters has gifted membership of the Insiders Club to someone and it absolutely warms the cockles of my heart when anyone does that so thank you Neil um there is some extra content from this episode and I'm just going to quickly tell you about it before we get stuck in properly. Robert is going to go into a bit of detail on his one big disagreement with the writers of Peep Show whilst working as series producer and there is some amazing insight into his approach to wasting people's time uh, either via letters or phone calls. There is a brilliant, brilliant toolkit that he basically lays out for how to keep people on the phone (laughs) during your own frivolous phone calls. So whether or not you're going to make use of any of those tools, it's certainly 
certainly very, very funny and thrilling to hear from the inside how he plans these individual little kind of almost comic heists. So all of that and more available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. I'll tell you more about my infinite sofa in the middle bit uh, of this interview. But for now, let's get stuck in. This is Robert Popper. So you're, um, we're talking about Friday night dinner, and I want to get on to that, but I think of all the people that I have uh, interviewed on this show, and this will be within episode 330-ish, um, it's, uh, I, rarely do I speak to someone who has had such a profound effect on so many different things. Not only are you uh, a writer and a performer, you're also a producer. I think you're probably the first commissioner or commissioning editor I've ever had on the show. Yeah. What do you regard as ex ex commissioner? The very I'm, not, I'm still not doing it. I'm not doing it now, but yeah. <laughs> what do you regard as being the very beginning of your comedy career? Um beginning of my comedy career, that's a good question. Well I guess it was like uh um I got I um my first job was at the um comic strip with Peter Richardson. That was years okay. ago. And I didn't know anyone in comedy and I used to want to be a guitarist, hence my guitars in the background, because you can see me. Okay. And um, I, I used to play in a band, but we, we just used to argue the whole time. It, it, we weren't very good. <laughs> and so, but I love comedy and doing silly things. And, and, and that was my kind of other love, you know, Python and all that great stuff. And I remember Alan Partridge was on the radio at the time. And I remember listening to it and it's sort of just... That it was at the time of that and the day to day when they were on the radio, and I remember them sort of, okay, in a pretentious way, kind of speaking to me, and thinking, "Wow, uh-huh. the way the rhythm of their jokes and their concepts and weirdness, I love that." And I, and it had been bubbling under me, thinking I kind of want to do comedy in some form, make funny stuff, and and very soon after I left the band, which. It didn't affect anyone really because we'd never made a record or anything. <laughs> but it was dramatic. I had to sort of take my amp out of our practice room. It's quite a heavy amp, but no one helped me. It was quite annoying. Um, and uh, and um, and and I didn't know anyone in, in comedy. I didn't know anyone in TV. But my mum's friend's friend's son worked with Esther Ranson, and that was my in. So I went and met him. That's, that's the that's the way into the industry. That's for so how. Many that's people. how you do it. It's the Esther <laughs> Ransom route. And he met me and took me to a recording of the news. I don't know why. Um, so I watched that and I thought this is mildly interesting. It's actually quite boring. But he gave me one bit of advice, which is write to producers whose shows you like. And I didn't really know what a producer was okay. at the time, so I did. And but I didn't write a normal. Uh, you know, letter I wrote. Well, I wrote what looked like a normal letter, um, you know, and a CV. But the more you read it, it was very dull and boring on purpose. At the bottom of the first page, it said that I survived an air crash at age of seven in, in British Columbia. And then I was reared by wolves for like nine years and learned the ways of okay. the wild. And then I was rescued by missionaries. And then it had all my weird sort of jobs I did. And weird. I faked it all, obviously, you know, fake... Uh, um, you know, references from... There was one from Edgeware General um, Burns Unit, so I suffered terrible burn, <laughs> and one from the company who's the guy's basically written on prison paper. Anyway, I still say that's the best thing I've ever written, and I sent it off to people, and Peter Richardson replied, and I went to the comic strip. Um, you know, they used to make great comic strip films, 
And sure. uh, he, I just remember coming in and then hearing him going, bring me the wolf man. And I just, <laughs> as soon as I stepped in there, I thought like I've come home because it was, it was just a kind of very free, crazy environment. And I really liked that. And I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm, just, that was just, a long answer. Out, no, not at all. I, I like long answers, and uh, I like it when you're pretentious as well. You mentioned pretension earlier on. Yeah. I normally prime my guests that this is the place to be oh, as pretentious yeah, yeah, as you see fit. Um, the two things I want to pick out of there is one is about the rhythm and the concepts of things like uh, the day-to-day and Alan Partridge and, and how you knew at the time that it spoke to you. And the other one is about that letter. Let's just go with the rhythm for now, because you're someone I think of as a phenomenally detailed creative person. If you think of the the detail that goes into Look Around You, which we'll spend some time on later, I hope. Um, but the, the the details are so important and the kind of... It, it, not just a, an observation of a joke, but like on, on Look Around You, for example, the mouth clicks at the beginning of the continuity announcements. Yeah, yeah. The tiny, tiny little minutiae like that. And I, I wonder what it was about the rhythm of, say, the day-to-day that you found so uh, arresting. Well, in that show, I think it was... I, I remember listening to it in the car, thinking, is this real? And then realising it's definitely not real, but it sounds so real... I've never heard anyone make something so real that isn't real. That in itself was really exciting and incredible. And and it was so odd. And I used to listen to, I still do a lot of electronic music, pretentiously. And I don't know, it had the sort of experimental feel of listening to some weird ex, um, electronic music as well. A lot of Chris Morris stuff does it, like his early stuff, like Jam, for example. Sure. That's kind yeah. of like listening to a Warp album or Aphex Twin or something. And I love all that kind of stuff. So I think I was just primed for that then. And, 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 and yeah, I was looking for a new sort of creative outlet and that, and that just really spoke to me, all that stuff. Just the weirdness of it all, but it seems so... They spent so much time on every line and joke, it was perfect. And I love that. I love that about it. So when it came to when it came to writing that letter, I just want to try and imagine who you were, given that that was you. If that was the letter that you sent to a lot of different places, did that feel like a kind of an all or nothing approach? Like I've got one chance to try and get my foot in the door. Yeah, because it's also such I, I, a kind I, of ballsy move. Well, I also bombarded. I forgot now. I actually sent them to Steve Coogan's agent, but I put them in gold envelopes, which I made myself because I don't think I don't know where you could buy a gold envelope. So I would cut gold wrapping paper and stick it on. He's still got some in his loft, he always tells me. Because <laughs> I wrote actually that to him and then I sort of bombarded him like a stalker with these letters. So I wrote to him saying I'd like to write on his show, work on his show in any capacity. And then I sort of wrote, as you're a busy man, you won't have time to write Mr. Partridge. You won't have time to write back to me. So I will write your letter back to me. Just post it back to me. <laughs> so then I had a, I can't remember what I wrote, but I to show him I could, whether I could or not, write in his voice, if you see what I mean. And so I wrote well, his that, letter. That, that's what I mean. That's such a, like, that idea that did, surely didn't come out of nowhere. You must have had some degree of confidence in your ability to write a funny letter at that stage. Had you written other other kind of creative stuff like that before? I think I was always doing, sending weird letters to people and stuff. Yeah, I've, letters have been a big part of my life. Sure. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I've always liked a stupid, weird, freaky letter. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I'd send freaky letters and in gold envelope, then he's going to remember me. 
Uh, I remember the okay. first time Patrick Marbo wrote, wrote with him then, met me in the street. I went up to him and said, Patrick Marbo, Robert Popper. And he went, oh, we thought you'd have curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of jumped back off the curb in shock. <laughs> yeah. And that anyway, so I wrote, they, they said to me, I got a message saying, we really like your stuff. And um, we're doing a TV show version of Knowing Me, Knowing You. We're probably not going to use anyone else. But if you fancy writing a script, which we probably won't use, why not? So I then remember spending two weeks, the first time I'd ever did it, I wrote a script for the show. Like, I imagine what the show would be, an interview thing. I think it was about an astronaut being interviewed and someone else. And I sent it in and um, and they replied and they said, we, we really liked it. Um, we're not going to use it because we're using anything. But genuinely, we, I tell you, if we didn't like it, we, I think it was Alan Partridge phoned me, you know, as Alan Partridge. And so that just gave me so much confidence. Like, okay, well, oh, okay, that's good. Um, and, you know, and then I think that was before, actually, I got to work at the comic strip. And then I was at the comic strip, too, you know, working as a runner, making tea, blah, 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 but just kind of watching how it all works, I guess. And and those those kind of first feelings of, I, like you said, when you went to work at the comic strip, you felt like I found my place. Yeah. I found my people. Yeah. Just just stay with that for a moment. What was it about those people that made you feel so at home? I mean, not just in a kind of a technical way, like you're into the same things, but in a personal way, that sense of kind of coming home. Well, it was warm. There was a roof. Um, <laughs> why did I like it? Well, it was just it was just a funky building. It was like a crappy, crappy set of offices in um, Berwick Street in Soho in London. And I remember when you used the toilet, which was really near the kitchen, that you there was a sign saying when you flush stand back because the water would come out of the loo <laughs> it was kind of like walking into sort of a crap version of sesame street so it was really old and rickety and <laughs> i went there and peter richardson who's wonderful he um he took me upstairs to his office come and meet the people and i can't remember who was there there's some people he was writing with and they were all smoking spliff and i was like this is like three in the afternoon i probably shouldn't say that but that's what they were doing I was thinking, this is just brilliant. What is it? What is this? And um, I kind of sat in the room and listened to them be funny. And I sort of said a few things. And he kept sort of, he liked me, I think. He kind of, I think he just liked, he liked what I wrote, my stupid CV. And then he's quite a vague man as well. So it sort of, at about six o'clock, he went, well, thank you. And I was like, so what, 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 what now then? Um, I'm, he wanted to see me. He said, well, just, you know, um, I don't know, we'll come in sometime in the week or something so the next day I just went in and I turned up and I think the staff downstairs were like hello and I just said Peter said I'm working here now and they went really and then he came down and I said yeah you said I'm working he was like oh okay um okay yeah I'm sure we can sort something out and I ended up working you know on obviously crap money as a runner and then his assistant but I sort of Slightly bullied my way in, really, I think. Yeah. I really wanted to work, though. I really liked it. And I, and I loved his energy and I loved his writing and I, I just wanted to get in there. That, that is something I'm, I'm, I talk to predominantly stand-ups on this podcast. And uh, there is sure. something that it's kind of like an obsession of mine, which is that most comics are really brave once when we decide to start doing sure. stand-up or to try doing stand-up. Be, yeah. And then as soon as, we, as soon as we get into it, we're not brave at all. We kind of retreat back into what are all the other comedians doing. Right, you know, you, you have this kind of heroic sort of, <laughs> I'm going to do something different. And then you quickly sort of <laughs> shrink back. 
given your propensity in that early period for writing these ludicrous opening introductory letters and then kind of pushing your way into a job, is that something that you that you kind of hung on to to kind of insert yourself into situations throughout your career, or was that just something you you kind of had to do in the very on day one to get? No, in I think the game? I've always done that. I think I've always. You know, yeah, I think I've, I've definitely always done that. Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, I don't know why, but I always take a deep breath and go, right, okay, here we go. I think I've always been, not, I'm not pushy, but I think if I just think if I won't get this opportunity again, I'm going to have to find a way, some odd way of getting around it to get to that thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's some. I feel like that's something I've noticed much later in life. There's a, a great comic called Charlie Baker, I remember saying to me a few years ago, uh, that you know the merry-go-round only comes round so often with your gap on it, and you've got to jump on. I, I wonder if I spent too much time in my own kind of career thinking, "Oh, well, this is new and novel. I expect this is the sort of thing that happens now," <laughs> rather than going. Get, well, I think a there's thing, a lot. Of, in, there's a bit it. of both. It's just sometimes you go, "Okay." Um, uh, I mean, I remember like I'm probably jumping ahead, but I got a job as a commissioning editor for two years in comedy at Channel Four. I didn't want that job ever. I didn't think I wanted to do that. But I was kind of working as a sort of producer and doing comedy stuff. And I got called in for a meeting um, with Kevin Ligo, who used to run Channel 4. He's brilliant, a really funny guy. And he runs ITV now. And um, he's but just a really funny, good guy. And he, he was like one of the best commissioners. He used to just say, because when we were working for his department, he would say, I'd say, uh, I'd really like to do this show. And he would go, OK. Let's do it. If it's shit, we won't do it again. Rather than, well, what do you think the figures are going to be? You know that. Mm. He was just very instinctive. Anyway, mm. I went in for a meeting with him and I did. I wasn't told what the meeting was, another vague thing. And then halfway through, I said, why, <laughs> why am I here? And he said, oh, there's a job as a commissioning editor. And I never thought I wanted a job, but it seemed really creative at that time. It was like 2000, it was the year 2000. And they were making really good stuff. And I thought, this, this is good. I, I quite like to do this because it seems... It's actually really creative as well. You're actually working with all the creative artists that are making shows and you're involved. And um, I suddenly thought, this is... this is Because I was working at Granada Television before where I was sort of secretly writing my time-waster letterbooks and using their facilities. It was brilliant. But this this seemed like (laughs) a good job. And um, he said to me, oh, I've been seeing lots of people, but um, for the job. I said, all right. And I said, who have you seen? Cockily. And he said, oh, there's a whole list. I just, <laughs> I just threw the list in the bin and I said, can I see the list? He went, OK. He gave me the list and I knew so many people on that list. And I suddenly thought, I really want this job. And I, went, I just spent my time going, hmm, I don't think they'd be good. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> whether that helps, but I got the job. Yeah. That's uh, that's extraordinary. Can you can you just tell tell me what a commissioning editor so is? Then, like is that whatever, the same as a commissioner? Yes. So yeah, it was that. So it was. So you, when I arrived on my first day, I was told, okay, your job is to find new funny shows, and also there are a couple of shows that you'll have to work on that we're going to give you some you might not like. I won't say what ones they were because there were some that I didn't like, but we all have to do them. And uh, and your job is to see like production companies. And they pitch stuff to you or you read their stuff and, you know, find new shows, etc. And work on existing ones and see scripts and help wherever you can, etc., etc. Yeah. And, and did it feel that's such a kind of proper job job? It was, it but it also felt like, like not a proper job. You know what I mean? Because it was quite then it was, okay. I think it was less ratings obsessed. And I had great people I worked with. I worked with Ian Morris, 
who makes the in-betweeners now, and Caroline Leddy, who's mm-hmm. she's my exec producer now on Friday Night Dinner, but she's over, she used to produce Brass Eye. She worked on things like Green Wing. Mm-hmm. She does Derry Girls, in-betweeners. So it was a really good, funny bunch of people I worked with. So it was felt like a fun job at the time. Okay. And do, I, I suppose from the point of view of, a, of someone at the kind of creatively speaking at the least official edge of that market, do you know what I mean? Like pitching stuff, coming sure. up with ideas. Um, it's, I suppose it's easy to kind of see commissioners as like, if not the enemy exactly, totally. but a sense of like, well, it's, e- it's easy for them. Yeah, totally. Did it, I mean, presumably when, when you are one, you, there's a load of pressure you've got bearing down on you that you have to... Yeah, there was, there was quite a like, lot. And, you know, by, by like two and a half years, I kind of thought I've, 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 done, I'm, 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 I've had enough really. But it was weird because when I started, I just made um, Look Around You with Peter Serafinich, which was this spoof, like 1970s, early 80s science education thing. We made a short film for fun, not for like TV, just for fun. And... Mm-hmm. Then we had a screening and people started saying you should do it on TV, which we never really even thought of. Why would no one would make this on TV? Because it's so weird. And while I was at Channel 4, BBC commissioned a series of it. So I just started my job at Channel 4 and they let me leave for like four months to go to BBC, <laughs> which was weird. And then I came back. And the reason I left again was okay. when we got a second series for BBC. So, yeah, it's odd. Okay. Okay, so in the meantime, you're sort of moonlighting, like kind of authorised yeah. moonlighting, always moonlighting, and making stuff somewhere else. Yeah, always moonlighting. <laughs> yeah, okay. People would come in and pitch me the their shows. The facilities. They'd, they'd pitch me their shows and they'd leave with a VHS of Look Around. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> it was so sad. Well, let's 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 talk with let's talk about. Um, uh, look around you at the moment because I think that's one of the when I hear when I hear your name that's the first thing I think of because I think I think for people my age who sort of remember those school programs certainly the first season where it, it kind of yeah. focused season what am I American series whatever um, it f- focused on uh, on uh, on those kind of school science programs and it was such a joyous kind of like really deliberate. And really mundane, the amount of pauses when you go back and listen to the narration, you know, an experiment was performed and the the, the rhythm of it was so, so deliciously mm. slow mm. and boring, so boring. Like boring in a way you can't look away from. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they absolutely were. So what it so said that started off as a passion project you were making with Peter just for just for fun, just to do well, a thing. We became friends. We I wrote this thing with. Uh, Mark Freeland, who uh, used to work at BBC, and uh, um, Matt Lucas and David Williams about 1998, which was like a 45-minute one-off called You Are Here. It was on Channel 4, which was terrible. And um, But during that time, mm-hmm. Peter was in it. I, met, I became buddies with Peter, and we realised we were sort of instant best friends and sort of kindred spirits, and we liked the same stupid crap. And we used to just hang out a lot then when you could <laughs> hang out with people. And uh, we just remember talking about weird stuff we liked and the, those old things you used to see at school, not the open university ones with the flares, and the, we've seen that, but the weird ones with the blue background and the really long pauses, and as you're saying, you can't see the scientist's face totally. And Yeah, you have a sort of distant memory of them, and we were laughing and, and saying, we should make those, we should make one of those for fun. Let's write one for fun. So we started writing one and then 
while we were writing, we were like, let's just make it somehow. <laughs> so we gathered a bunch of people. We, Peter knew this amazing director called Tim Kirkby, who makes the most amazing stuff now. He's done so well. And he's just fantastic. And we gathered a crew of people we, you know, we just met, really. And we shot it all, you know, illegally in places we shouldn't have shot it properly. And edited it all and then put it out. We did a big screening. We invited, like, everyone we respected because we wanted as many people to see it as possible. It was terrifying. And uh, it seemed to go well. And then from that, somehow the BBC said, we'll give you six, ten minutes. And I said, can we have ten? And they went, all right, eight. And I go, great. Don't know why they gave us eight. (laughs) 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 Okay, so presumably just for the sake of not losing the uh, the negotiation. Exactly. What I assume. Exactly. Um, And what were your... What were your favourite bits of doing that? Because I, I can, there are certain things that are just indelibly kind of that are just I regard now as part of my comic education. Oh, like, you. and and there was when I've asked when I've sourced kind of listener questions for this, everyone's so excited about thanks ants, <laughs> thanks. I remember which that because was, became. I mean, I don't. No, go on, please. Well, I was going to say it, it's not that I don't know if whether it's you caught a trend of people eliding words together at the time or whether you started it. I can't remember. I, rem- I have I don't no know idea, but I remember we used to... I was working at Channel 4 at the time and then I finished my job and I go into town and work in this office. Um, and Naira Park, who produces, who used to produce Space and does uh, all Edgar Wright's movies, she'd let us use the top of her office for free and Peter would join me at 7 o'clock. We'd write from 7 till 10. That's when we did it for however many weeks and we were writing the series mm-hmm. and I remember he used to sit opposite me <laughs> and I remember him coming up with thanks I think he came up with thanks and thanks and I remember literally both of us falling off the floor lying on the floor laughing our heads off <laughs> at that joke and then I said bless you ants blance which we laughed at probably not quite as much because he'd done the main joke but I remember that moment very well yeah <laughs> we have this um We've got this book of all our stupid ideas. It's actually behind me in my thing. And it's just full of um, all our stupid ideas and ones we, we, didn't, we didn't use, which we sometimes flick through. But, yeah, it was just a great, fun time. It was like we were writing a really, really odd script and I uh, couldn't believe we were allowed... It was going to go on BBC Two. We just couldn't believe it. I don't think they ever even looked at our script to be, because it was like, well, how can you even comment on it? It's so odd. What are you going to? What are you going to say that sulfur doesn't dissolve? Or do you know what I mean? How are you going to? It's not like a really. It's you know they're really boring episodes. Sulfur maths. And the it, it almost seemed like part of the part of the trick of it was by making it so kind of faux boring and and slowly paced that you could be so extraordinarily surreal. And and kind of get away with it because there it, it it was almost a challenge. It almost challenges the viewer to somehow like it. Like you said, it might challenge a commissioner. It challenges the viewer to. It's like saying, "Go on, have a problem with this being Imhotep, or have a problem with the fact that it's Mivin Productions." Because there's like they're so preposterous. They're they're not just like something real that we've slightly changed. They're like, you know, Clint, I, I tried to write one down, Clentifini Mahayasu. No, almost, you know? yeah, Clentifini Mahayasu. <laughs> Mahayasu. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, do you see what I mean? Those things are like, they're so abruptly in your face. They're not just stupid, well, they're, they're normalised. Kind of they're just like, you know, they'd be normalised. They're very strange things said very normally. 
and that that's kind and slowly and boringly and as if you know they're it's it's a given. I think there was a joke we used to like this one, which was I can't there was some experiment with an iron pyramid which led to an explosion in the lab, and then the scientist runs outside and he looks up and a giant pair of scissors appears in the sky. And then the narrator just says, it's an old experiment that you've probably seen before, but well worth doing nonetheless. That kind of thing we liked, you know, that sort of throwaway thing that this is like parallel universe, this is what happens. That was yes. kind of what it all was, really. What, what sort of, what stuff did you, what kind of thing did you write for Look Around You that you then didn't make? What got lost in the edit and why? What did you take out and why? What did you take out? That's a really good question. Oh, God. We did one in water, which was about water powder, which was something like when water is shaken. I think it was filmed it with a barman. That was it. When we shake water powder, when we shake water vigorously, it forms powder, water powder. And uh, and then it's and then I think the barman poured cocktail barman. That's it. Poured it into a cocktail glass. It's perfectly safe to drink, but best served with a glass of water. And I think you pour water into it to make water. <laughs> it's sort of like a circle of nothingness, as the whole show was. But for some reason we couldn't make that one work. Um, yeah, there were, I can't remember what I can't remember what was cut. I don't think we cut loads, to be honest. In the first series, I don't think we cut loads. I mean, yeah, I mean, we wrote another script early on for uh, an episode on gold, which had involved feeding electricity through a shaved raspberry into a, into a woman and it produced a kind of much less intelligent twin put it that way who was led led away okay. presumably into some kind of hospital <laughs> <laughs> and when you say when you say you couldn't make it work what does that mean that you couldn't make it work for you you couldn't make it funny enough for the pair of you when you watched it back it just wasn't was that it just gauge? wasn't yeah, it's like anything when you're any show, you know, you're making... Sometimes they're really funny. You have to lose the funny stuff. It was probably quite funny, but rhythmically in the piece doesn't work, so it goes. I think it was probably one of those. It's probably that, actually, yeah. And that... And that, when you were talking about Thanks, Ants, you and Peter kind of, like, face rolling on the floor laughing Yeah, we it. were. Were you... Did you have kind of a creative partnership for that show where you would feel like what was the dynamic between you that someone would say something like is this any good or like i you know i, I kind of offer I, I really believe in this idea and that the other one of you I would go remember. i think I'm not it was just it. a lot of talking in the sort of look around you voice at each other and then laughing okay. you know and, and 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 or someone would turn up with a or we'd have a, a book with a list of words we've invented that we like and and jotting them down i think a lot of it was just improving you know, saying lines that come out of your head for no reason, and then that's funny. And there was a line in series two, sorry to quote my own stuff, or Arthur, that was so weird. I don't know why we said this line once, which was, I can't remember, I think it was in the one on health where it was a, a dream where you could, a machine that you could look inside people's dreams. And mm-hmm. uh, we, that was it, Olivia Coleman, Pam Batchelor, her character was observing this this uh, dream sequence going on through the machine. And I think the dream is called the Montgomery dream, where he, where the man plays the part of Montgomery. And then it turns into a night. I can't remember if it was his dream or the guy who ru- runs the, 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 the department there's dream. I think it was his actually. He showed her dream, which was strangely erotic. But there was a line in it where someone is shouting him, what's it, idiot, idiot, peroxamidiot, cabbage hole idiot, investment fund? 
It was just a sentence we wrote, which didn't mean anything. And we were like, let's put that in. Let's just put that in and it's going to be on television. So we did. We just thought, that's, that's actually going to be in a script. And they let us say that. Why? <laughs> is that is that for, for you part of like... Is that almost like a sort of a, a, a permanent mission statement in the back of your mind to try and get things? Because there's a link there, obviously, to the time waster letters of like to try and bring ludicrousness, to bring absurdity or silliness into the the establishment. I think a little bit of that is that. Yeah, Peter's got that as well. Yeah. Yeah. We both we both really kind of particularly when we do look around, we both, both love doing all that stuff. And getting words in that don't really mean anything and saying them straight. Yeah, we loved all that stuff. Yeah, we were really into that then. Yeah, we still are whenever we get together or make little things. They're kind of basically all the same thing. They're that, really. <laughs> and do you, do, you have any, do you have any sense of kind of why that is? Is it like just in terms of when you were kind of creating your own identity or finding out your own identity at school, say... Was there, do you have a, did you have a kind of a maverick streak there? Did you feel confined by authority or by an institution such that it particularly tickles you more than the next person? I don't know, to, to maybe, maybe. Um, I think Peter always says that it's really, there's being pretentious again, that the show is basically about life is meaningless. And what does it all mean, really? At the end of, you know, it's probably that, really. Like, it's all ridiculous anyway, so why not be absurd? I think there's a bit of that in it, really, if that sounds not deep at all, like a sixth former. But I think it's that, really. <laughs> I kind of think so, yeah. Peter always used to say, like, whenever he used to look up at the stars, it would just freak him out too much and he couldn't look anymore. Just, like, what's out there? <laughs> he just can't do it. He cannot do it. I love that. <laughs> you just say uh, I can't look too much because it just so I try not to. I've never met anyone else that does that. <laughs> um, what do you think you would have done as a commissioner, as a commissioning editor, if something like Look Around You had come across your desk? You were saying before you were kind of saying like the absurdity of offering notes on something like that. Have you ever been confronted with something as completely? inhabited in someone else's vision and someone else's world that you didn't know how to uh, approach feedback hmm. i mean sometimes i'd be i would be pitched things and in my head i'd be thinking i don't know if i like this or i don't like this and now i've got to speak and i don't know what i'm going to say there'd be a lot of that you know people telling you okay, really? yeah because you know if i'm suddenly pitching you a thing i oh, here's and this is a comedy and it's set in a, a camera shop and you know blah 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 and you're thinking okay uh, this might be funny i don't know and then at the end, they stop and you've now got to say something. There's a lot of that. There's a hell of a lot of that. <laughs> but, like, generally, I think, like, because I script edit a lot of things and you want to preserve, you want, you want the, you know, to preserve the writer's vision, really. You know, that's, we, that's kind of what you want to do. And if they really like something fantastic, great, you can only sort of guide them what you think, give, you know, your fresh take as a new reader to it. But I think it's that you just want, you want, I think what it is is you want the the creative person, the comedian or whatever, the writer, you want them to have that freedom to feel themselves and to express themselves, really. He said, boringly. The end. Of the okay, podcast. okay. 
Yeah, no, I, well, I, I appreciate that because that is part of the, like that sensitivity, I suppose, is why you would... I'm a very sensitive man, very saying, sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the temptation must be there to go, oh, I could get this and do my thing with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sometimes I think at Channel 4, I was like, OK, I just want to make my stuff now. Yeah, there was definitely that feeling after yeah. about a year and a half. Yeah, OK, right. I really enjoyed this job but now. But, you know, it was only two years of my life and it was great. Nice canteen. And did you... <laughs> did you, just before we move on from that, did you have any kind of rules of thumb or did you get any kind of no training as for, <laughs> as for how to be a good commissioning editor? Did someone say, look, this is how you do the job? Or did you, in doing the job, did you kind of go, like after the first year, say, did you go, right, this, this is, I think, the... Well, I learned something this is the mission statement. on about day one. I got an email from someone, I can't remember who it was, I think went to, maybe he went to university at the same time as me, a nice guy. I didn't know him very well, but a nice guy. And he was a, he was a writer now. And he said, I've got some scripts and um, I'd love to come in for a meeting with you. And I didn't know how it worked, so I said, sure, come in. And then he sent me the scripts and there were seven different, seven scripts. So seven different, which is not, I guess, it's not the best way of pitching, seven things. I thought, oh, fuck, I've got to read all these fucking scripts. <laughs> so I read the first one, and it's like, okay, it's fine, but I know we wouldn't make that, so I'll read the next one. Well, I'm sure there's something good in here. The next one, it was like, okay, this isn't good. I read the third one. Okay, by about page 10. I'm not reading anymore because it's not good. There's no need to read anymore. There must be something good. In, and I remember reading seven, you know, basically, more or less, and then him coming in the following week, and I knew him as well. And having to, he obviously thought, well, I, the first one I said, it's not quite our thing. He must have thought, well, there's six more. There's going to be one. And then gradually I had to, it was <laughs> awful. So it was then I checked and they said, yeah, you get people to send in one thing at a time, not seven. <laughs> let's talk about um, staff, let's flats. Yeah, Jamie Dimitri, he's amazing. He's, he's amazing. He's, he's very, very yeah, funny. You, you wrote... With him, the first you wrote the first three episodes of series one, I think, and then script edited. Yeah, and then I had to write Friday Night Dinner five, so I script edited that, and then I script edited series two. But I mean, it's Jamie's show. I mean, it's his voice. I mean, half the show is it's not even English, is is it? it? It's what is it? Is it English? What words does he say? It's uh, he's. (laughs) I remember watching um, his black. That's a Channel Four like short form thing um, they have, and he did a black staff about five years ago. God, it's taken so long for them to make the show. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember watching it thinking, this is so brilliant, and who is this guy? And I got in touch, and we had a like, cup of tea. And I said, oh, I'd love to work with you. And we got him in Friday night dinner, a tiny part, which I wish I hadn't given him that part, and he was in mm-hmm. a bigger part now. Anyway, um, and then when it came to actually getting around to it, they asked if I'd like to work on it. I was, yes, please. And um, But we, spent, we, we, we became really good friends, and he used to come to my house, and we'd write here. But we used to muck around like so much. I mean, we really mucked around. We call it was it the the, the golden days? We call it because <laughs> it was just fun. <laughs> At the moment, it really is the golden days with this fucking lockdown. But um, but he's yeah. he's so talented. He's as a point. He's kind of got that. I don't know. He's kind of Steve Coogan esque mixed with Sasha Baron Cohen. I think sometimes when I watch him, everything he does, mm. those brilliant people that do do a line differently to anyone else you think why why did you do it like that how did you think of doing a line like that why did you move like that 
Um, you know, those people are really rare. Can you give Can you give us an example? I can't, um, and I won't. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I, weirdly, I can't think at the moment. I'm trying to think. Just sometimes the way he stands. Okay. I mean, in his blap, uh, he does. Just sometimes with his body, how he scrunches his body up weirdly, and. Uh, just his use of language, which is like not even English and it's not Greek. What are those words you're saying? You know, his, 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 his kind of his own staff words. It's just also clever yeah. and, and great. And it's got so much heart as well. Um, I like all those people that around that work around him in the show. There's a whole bunch of those guys and girls, you know, Ellie White, Tash, his sister. They're just all so good. You know, Kyle Smith, Bino, they're all fantastic. So this is Robert. What a joy. So much fun to talk to him. And uh, uh, such a, I mean, he's just got such a brilliantly funny brain. I think all of that stuff about starting out and golden envelopes and kind of writing in character, it, it's that sort of, um, uh, it, it, you've just got to put something out into the world, haven't you? It's so easy to sit around. And I'm talking about the very beginning of his career. It's so easy when you're not in the world of comedy to sit and kind of worry about it and speculate. But actually doing something which offers something out to the world, which really inhabits your sense of humour is, is obviously such a, a successful technique for Robert. I wonder how many people have heard him describe that in interview in the past and have gone on to try something similar. If that's you, let me know. Info at comedianscomedian.com or at comcompod. Now, I mentioned some exciting things. First thing I'm going to do is a little plug. This isn't a paid ad. This is for my friend and colleague, Mark. Mark Moriarty. What a name. What a guy. He runs awesound.com. It's like awesome, but for sound. Awesound. A-W-E-S-O-U-N-D awesound.com. And if you produce podcasts or you're a comic or an actor and you want to create your own audio books of stuff that you've written or, or a writer who can speak, um, then do find out what Mark is doing at awesound.com. He runs the, the whole of the back end of the Insiders Club for me uh, after we met at a chance meeting in Edinburgh two years ago where he was absolutely disgusted at the pathetic cut and shut I'd attempted to do um, using, like, welding together elements of Patreon, MailChimp, and uh, just hand emailing everyone that got in touch, I'd kind of managed to create this sort of uh, insiders club prototype. And uh, I described it to Mark, not really knowing what he did for a living. And <laughs> he was like, I'm going to take all that off your hands. And he's done that rather brilliantly. So if you are in this sort of field, and um, if you're one of those people who occasionally, very in a very welcome way, emails me and says, hey, how do I do this? I'm always banging on about Mark and allsound.com. So check that out. Um, also, I've got to tell you about my infinite sofa. Now, normally in this section of the show, I'd be banging on about the live work and tour dates and so on you can see me at. None of that is happening, as I'm sure has not escaped your notice. I don't know what Sweden's up to. Maybe people are still on tour out there. Who knows? But um, certainly in, in inverted commas, these troubled times, all live work has exploded and many comedians have pivoted and done various exciting twisty turny things and there's a huge amount of content going out online some of it live some of it live gigs some of it pre-recorded um you can find a lot of it there is a mega thread at uh at the comedians comedian podcast facebook group which remains particularly now an incredibly nice warm place to hang out what I've tried to do as my own contribution to that is I've created a thing called the Infinite Sofa. You can find out all about it at infinitesofa.com. And it is my attempt at a chat show with elements of uh, The Muppet Show and TFI Friday. I would say those are my 
was it called TGI? No, that's the restaurant, isn't it? Um, the show, TFI Friday. And I've tried to create... I, what I've been going for is the sort of warmth and sort of mutual creativity, like handing the creativity over to the audience. I have a small studio audience of uh, 10 to 12 people, and if you'd like to be in that studio audience, you can donate during the show at streamlabs.com slash Goldsmith uh, at any time, in fact, and that will roll you into the hat for people who could be picked to be in the studio audience. And what that means is the performers on the show get to perform to smiling, laughing faces rather than just howling into the void. Also, the people in my studio audience frequently get uh, the chance to talk to the guests. They get challenged. I spotlight them. I make everyone play silly games. We did Pass the Parcel last night. Um, And the show goes out at 8 o'clock on Mondays and 8.05 on Thursdays because whilst I was sorting out my showtime, I forgot about the clap for the NHS, which, of course, we're all involved in. So roughly 8pm, Mondays and Thursdays, via infinitesofa.com. You can watch in a variety of places. You can watch the stream on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, but all the links are at infinitesofa.com and I really want to see you there because it is very early days for this project and it reminds me of the very early days of this podcast, which has now grown into this wonderful and, and vibrant and exciting and fun part of my life and a big chunk of my career and my working life and my, I mean, let's face it, every waking moment. But I remember when this started, the very first live one, there were only two people in the audience, my friends Tom and Sarah, and uh, and we had a fantastic conversation with Rob Deering. And I remember I sort of almost didn't put it out because it can be very dispiriting in the early days of a creative project where you go, I've made a thing, I'm proud of it, and no one really knows about it. Well, we're getting about 100 people online watching the show, plus those uh, 10, 12 people in the studio audience, plus the four brilliant guests so far. We've had Desiree Birch, Sindhu V, Rob Rouse, Phil Ellis, and loads of brilliant musical cabaret and comedy guests. Um, But the numbers, I mean, the thing is, if 100 people watch it online, it's infinitely scalable. I want 1,000, I want 10,000, I want 100,000 people watching it online. So check the show out, infinitesofa.com, Mondays and Thursdays at roughly 8pm. And uh, you can find out during the show how to get on the sofa for the show next week. I'm so excited about it. It's basically the Muppet Show and I get to be Kermit, which is all I've ever wanted. So do check that out. Um, Go to awesome.com to find out about Mark's work if you are in need of some sort of means of selling audio content online or uh, uh, promoting or uh, making available audio content online. It's an incredibly useful system. I will post Amble at you at the end of this uh, interview, but let's now get back to Robert Popper. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just talking about your work on South Park, you worked on Series 14, and I'd just like to know what it is, what it's like inside. You know, sure, what, what I mean, whether I, do, you know, I can't say that I did much because you're just in a room with a genius of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And uh, there are four writers and no one has a computer. There's no pens. No one writes anything down. Trey just walks around the table. Okay. And when he's got three ideas for scenes, everyone goes home at one o'clock in the afternoon. And then you come back the next day <laughs> and they say, look what we've done. And they've made those three scenes, which you didn't even know what they were going to be. They've made them, they're animated, all the music and the voices, because it's all done in six days. So, I mean, part of the time I sit there and thinking, I'm just in a room listening, because you you can't help but thinking, I'm in a room where they make South Park. So there's a lot of that in my head. (laughs) And and, um, and a lot of it is, you realise, even though you think, well, you probably know American culture well, it is kind of about, you know, growing up in America as a kid, and so there'll be, uh, we're going to be doing a thing about summer camp or we're going to do about thing about minor league baseball. And you're like, what is that? Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of that going on in your head. I, yeah, I, sure. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but um, it was it was fantastic. And, and, and they're, they're on a different level, you know, those guys, really. Yeah. I don't, I mean, they do a show in five so, days and it would be like Saturday or whatever. And, they, and the show's on, on on Wednesday, Wednesday night or Thursday, in fact. How do you do? I don't know how you do it. Yeah, it's incredible. Is there is there a sense? Did you have a sense when you were in the room of thinking, well, we're fourteen series into this. They know what they're doing, and the fact I'm here because they've asked me to be here means I am somehow part of the process. Yeah, I had to think that. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, it was great fun. It was it was just fantastic. It was. And they were doing all nighter the night before it goes out, not with the, the writers, just Matt and Trey and the gang there. And then the show would go out. They would hand it to the network, or whatever, an hour before, and it would just be on. And, uh, yeah, it was just a mystery because no one ever. I remember one of the writers saying to me, "By the way, we've worked here ten years and I've never seen a script. You will never see a script. We, it's like magic. We don't know how it gets done. We've never seen a script. Nothing's ever written down. Even when people are pitching jokes, Trey doesn't write anything down. It's just in his head." And yeah, and he either uses them or doesn't use them. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal, that guy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And talking talking to the other the other writers, the other people in in your seat, like you and the three others, did you get a sense that like were any of them kind of like uh, you said they were like a regular, someone who'd been doing it sure. for years? So did you get a sense of like is this a normal amount of involvement, the involvement that I'm having here? Um, I can't remember it. I can't remember. You know, it would be like a writer's room. Some days you're really good. Some days you're not so good. Some days you don't understand what they're talking about because they're talking about a baseball player. Some some days you go, oh, I get this. I I understand the concept. This is fine. So you just, everyone has a good day and a bad day. That's kind of how it is really in a writer's room. Um, But it was kind of generally always, in my head, it was always a good day because I was in the room. I was where they're making South Park. (laughs) 
Can you point to a specific joke that that you then watched it and went, "That's mine." That's no, mine. I cannot. You know, I, 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 I literally cannot. Not oh. now. I think at the time I could. <laughs> Definitely could at the time, but now I haven't seen. I have to rewatch them, but I can't remember at the time. Going, oh yeah, I did that one. But um, I'd have to rewatch. I haven't haven't watched that far back since. I've got a lot of time now, so I can do that again. No, there was like two that we did, which okay. were when they were receiving death threats. If you remember that, I don't know if you remember that um, from fundamentalists yes, yes. The, uh, over the yeah, Muhammad yeah, gotcha. and um, some fundamentalists, and so we're in a glass office in the middle of like the whole complex, and one of the runner guys knocked on the window while we were writing, and I think Trey said no, no, not now, and he knocked again, he said not now. And the runner went away and he came back with a piece of paper in red pen and held it up, just said, the FBI are here. (laughs) 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 Which was a fantastic bit of, you know, that was really funny. So they just said, well, I was in a hotel at the time, maybe just lock your door at night. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, my God. That was funny. Casual. Mm. Jeez. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's talk about Friday night dinner then. And this is, is it the most mainstream thing you've ever I done? guess it is. I, yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, when I wrote it, it's funny because it's become popular. Um, you know, people watch it. I never thought people would watch it. I never thought this is mainstream um, because when I wrote it, I always thought this is quite weird. You know, it's, it's, it's odd in its own way. Uh, so it was a surprise when it got sort of bigger and bigger and bigger. And then last series... I mean, I'm not boasting. I'm just saying it did get big. I noticed it. People knew what the show was, sure. and a lot of people yeah. watched it. And then it became becomes kind of mainstream. It's weird because, like, I remember thinking, and I can't, I'm not comparing it to this in any way. Little Britain, which was a phenomenon, that's a really weird show. Mm-hmm. If you think of it, I remember seeing going to the radio records and seeing sure. the pilot, going, "This is brilliant." It's, it's really odd. It's really funny. It's really strange and out there. And that's just yes. mainstream. My show isn't that in any way, but you, to me, this was like a little, quiet, silly show that's become mainstream. And I think maybe part of it is because it's about a family. And I think without realising, oh, yeah, people can relate to families and that just helps make things mainstream. <laughs> more, more than they can relate to calcium, exactly, for example. Which no one can relate <laughs> yeah. to that. No one, apart from <laughs> you and me. Uh, and did you like I, I think one of the things is definitely the family thing it has real warmth like it, it kind of is suffused with this kind of warmth of characters who love each other whilst being horrific to yeah, each other that's what it is yeah I mean it, it, it's so, sort of base concept is um, really I used to go home to my parents and my brother like on Friday night dinner we're Jewish not religious that's our Sunday lunch and just like we mm-hmm. would revert to being children and just realising everyone kind of does it. And my dad didn't used to wear a top in the house a lot. And he doesn't hear <laughs> very well. And he does, he's kind of like a less angry dad character from the thing. And I, was that, and also my friends and how we all spoke to each other. And it's quite fast and quite, not vicious, but quite in your face, I suppose, as a family. Yeah. Our family, what I can be. Um, not vicious, but kind of just people talking at the same time. And I thought, I haven't seen that before. I didn't really want to make a Jewish comedy as such. But I thought whenever I'd seen Jewish people being portrayed, and I'm not saying this like I'm on a mission in any way, but it was either really like Maureen mm-hmm. Lipman-y, fine, very, oh, it's mm-hmm. like that, or very sentimental. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, 
this when we get together we don't talk about jewish things as a family why can't this just be a show about a family about reverting to being young again and i suddenly thought friday night dinner that is a show the title but it says what it is it's quite simple yeah. and i quite like the repetition yeah. i wanted a sort of i get that it takes place over a night and and then i thought at the time i was thinking well my favorite show set in the house is the royal family which is so fantastic which is probably the opposite to my show where it's really slow, it's so mm. slow and beautiful, and I love slow things. I thought, well, I want this to be really fast, and I want a lot to happen. I want it to be just super fast. Because um, the scripts normally for, like, a 30-minute show would be about 35 pages. Mine are, like, maybe about 30 pages, 32 pages. Mine are 50 pages. And every time we do it, everyone says, they'll be too long. I said, no, they're always a bit short, okay. if anything. Because people talk so <laughs> fast, and, you know, talk very sh- very kind of short snappy lines at each other and it's really really fast yes. and probably that's the main note we say to, to everyone or they know now it's a guest characters just do it faster can you do it faster sometimes they come on and they do it kind of slowly and really very active and you know really i'll give this all and go, oh, that's great can you just do it three times as fast please <laughs> it's just me and martin the director going we won't use that it's got to be much faster or that's yeah. going to be cut <laughs> And is the I'm just interested in the very the very beginnings of it because I think the the element like if it wasn't a sort of a direct attempt at a mainstream sitcom no because because it's so it, not only is it about a family it's kind of based on you a in a way bit, yeah. that do you know what I mean? It's based on your own upbringing. It's sort of like, um, not that it's your life story, but it has a sort of deeply personal element in a way that some of the other shows that we've discussed sure. today haven't had no, no, that no. element. So. It's interesting that it like did it feel I suppose I don't know quite what I'm asking about this the the tone of it the warmth of it you could have you could have done it like it's very it's very brightly lit for example sure. you know so yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. kind of super accessible rather than being Yeah I think I just or, I think I wanted to write I've worked on a lot of sitcoms you know peep show ID crowd lots of things mm. in between us all those kind of shows, and I've always liked watching a good sitcom. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, good ones, um, Alan Partridge, all that stuff. And I wanted to do, I wanted to write one. I really wanted to write one, and I wanted a. This, I just had a feeling, this mood that I wanted to capture, which I've been thinking of for years, and I didn't know how to express it like a, the rhythm and melody of a show. And then when I thought of Friday Night Dinner, I suddenly in my head, oh, I know what that show is. That is the show. And then a couple of things happened yeah. to my parents when I was there, which were like, well, this is a perfect plot, you know. My grandma shouting at my mother, a grown woman, go to your room in her own house. Or a man <laughs> turning up on a Friday night from nowhere. My dad had advertised this sofa. It was the pilot, or the episode one we used, this heavy sofa bed to be picked up and, you know, on, on some site. He was paying 50 quid to pick up our sofa bed and take it away. And it getting jammed and stuck on the stairs with my man with my dad and this strange man at the bottom of the stairs and my mum and me at the top where we couldn't see them over the sofa. <laughs> my dad's basically deaf and having to talk to this strange man who would then have to relay the message to my dad about how we can get this sofa bed down without ripping the whole <laughs> wallpaper down and my dad being just basically saying, I can't hear a bloody word the man's saying, being rude to the man. I was like, this is, this is, this has got to go in. So there are a few things like that and I thought, yeah, I wanted to do those things and I, and I, I knew I wanted Simon Bird in it and Mark Heap because um, I, I wanted 
yeah, I just love anything with Marquis in it. Yeah, it was never really... I never thought it's mainstream. It's funny. Um, it's obviously more mainstream, clearly, than Look Around You. But it's... Um, and I didn't really want to do a bleak show. I think I just wanted to do a fast show. Um, and, and also maybe part of me did want to do something with Jewish people or portraying a Jewish thing, which wasn't the normal Jewish thing you see. And it wasn't kind of the American Jewish thing, wisecracky thing, which can mm-hmm. be fine sometimes. And it, but it was very British as well. So I think, yeah. And I didn't want it to look grey and I wanted it to look bright. I wanted it to just be sort of... Because a lot of those houses you go into, like my parents' house, all the lights are on 5,000 watts. They don't have dimmers. And those are the houses. They're bright. Mm-hmm. So that's how it's going to be. So, you know, they're like goldy-coloured things on the warm beiges and, and, and that those colour schemes. I just wanted to do that, really. And is is it a, is there a writer's room? No, or is it a no. solo entirely solo? You sat at your desk. It's like me at sat the desk at desk. You're at now. I'm sat at this desk or the British Library, and I have um, Caroline Leddy, who I mentioned before, who's like one of the unsung heroes mm. of British comedy. She's behind so many amazing shows, and she's on the end of a phone, or she gives me notes. So I'll write a script. She'll give me mm. fifty notes, which I'll just do all of them because she's always right. And then I'll get. Mm-hmm. She'll go great. Oh, there's twenty more things. Blah blah blah, and I'll do all her notes. And then that script's done, you know. Um, so she's my sort of person I can speak to. And then there's Kenton Allen, who's, an, who's uh, my other exec producer, who's fantastic as well. So I've got two people I can bounce on, really. But it's just me in a room, really, mm-hmm. otherwise. And do you Quite think your lonely. experience... <laughs> is it? Is it lonely? Yeah, yeah, it is lonely, yeah. Yeah, it is lonely. Yeah, every time I start a new one, I'm like, oh... But then I get into it normally. There's all, normally one that breaks me. Yeah. One that breaks me out of the six, each each series. Not like, oh, I can't do it. it. And my wife says, why? I just can't work out the story. You know, I can't, excuse okay. me, connect all the bits. And my wife always say to me, you say this every time, you'll get through it. And I'll go, no, this one's different. And then I get through it. And when I get to the end of a script, I walk around my room going like that with my arms raised in the air. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, how do you cope with the moments when it doesn't work, when you're blocked, when you can't solve a problem or what have you? Do you have any kind of, what's your toolkit for, is it just a case of put it down and go away and do something else for a bit? Or do you write through it? What's uh, the... I normally go to the firing range. Um, <laughs> can you imagine that's what I did? Uh, what do I do? I play golf? No, um, what do I do? Um, oh, yeah. I'd probably try and write through it and just go a bit insane. Yeah, I don't... I try not to, like... I probably spend too much time... Yeah, I don't really waste too much time when I'm really in... When I am when I know that the show... I've got my six months to write it, I don't spend a lot of time sort of fucking around too much. So I'm probably quite focused on that. And I can't then jump on another episode and go, well, I'll come back to that. I just not can't do that. So I probably just... Right, and sit and struggle and then go, I can't do it. And then maybe have a lie down for like 10 minutes and then get up, oh, what about this? And just write, I don't know. Yeah, I sort of have to be in that moment to remember what it's like. It's not nice, you know. Yeah. It's not enjoyable. (laughs) And is that that six months of working on the series? Do you do other projects during that time or are you completely... Normally I'm I'm sort of probably script editing someone else's show or something, doing a couple of things. But generally I'm doing... It's probably seven months really, actually a five weeks of script. Um, I'm kind of generally doing my thing. There's normally like two other little things I'm doing at the same time. 
but generally um, I'm just doing this, yeah. I can't really write another thing at the same time. It's too difficult to get my head around. Some people can, I can't. I just can't do another show. At the I don't know how you do it. Mm. Um, but they take me about five weeks an episode, probably. It's all, it's because it's so plotted. It's a plot, really, working that out. Yeah. It's all that stuff. And it, do you think that your experience as a script editor means that you're better at taking notes from script editors that you are Sure, I mean, I, 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 to be honest, just I like, I love notes because I'm, I'm writing on my, like Sam and Jesse are brilliant with notes. I mean, you learn loads watching them. Like you've been writing on your own, you've written your script, you give it to someone who's good, they read it and they go, I didn't yeah. understand that bit. I mean, some inexperienced people or some people go, well, why didn't you understand it? Well, they just didn't understand it. It's, it's, it's clear to you, the writer, they've read it for the first time. That's really good. They didn't yeah. understand it. Okay, there's obviously an issue here. So you want to hear those bits or where they get bored or things they didn't understand. Or And normally say someone would like Caroline Leddy with me, she will always pinpoint the thing that 20% of your head is going, oh, that bit probably isn't right, but it's fine, isn't it? And then she'll say, that bit yeah. there. And you'll go, yep, yeah, okay, I'll change that. I always think afterwards, why didn't I just change it then? She's always going to see that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I, it's my reward, weirdly, is getting to the end and sending her the script so I get my notes because I know it's going to be better from her notes. Mm-hmm. Can it can it run forever? No. Given that the characters don't don't change or grow because it's a sitcom, sure. and, you know everyone's the same at the it's, end. Probably, I mean, I know. mean, it probably could. I don't think I would do that because that would just get much i mean i've done six it's quite a lot so yeah yeah i don't know if i'm going yes. to be doing that forever definitely not <laughs> you've done the six seasons i mean movie next right That's no six way they're movie. never good <laughs> in between us were good but i just think it yeah. wouldn't be good maybe it would be good probably wouldn't be good i have a, a listener question from Stuart robin why is the understairs toilet in friday night dinner so massive you know, is it like the impossible the to- window it, in the show it is good question <laughs> So we're using a real house, so we don't film in a studio. This brilliant lady lives there. She moves out for two months. We destroy our house and redecorate our house, destroy it with 50 crew members and packed into this bloody house for 35 days at a time. Then we redecorate the house. But the toilet under the stairs is tiny. It's absolutely tiny. You can't do anything in it. So I think in series one, we said, okay, well, then we'll use the upstairs toilet and change it a bit, modify it, and that'll be the toilet. And we'll make it okay. not massive, but everyone instantly went TARDIS toilet. So it just is a TARDIS toilet. Yeah. It, it has different rules of physics there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, just another question from a listener before we wrap up. Um, Sarah Dean, uh, said, listener to the show and, and my good friend, uh, please tell him thank you. She says, I quote him so often, house handles, parmenu, parmenu, parmenu. and... Uh, Parmenu, and 100% of things Martin says on Friday Night Dinner, she says brackets, which is basically a documentary about my dad. Well, there we are, a documentary of dads, yeah. Oh, that's nice. What, what am I meant to say to that? Thank you. I don't <laughs> that know. That is I, nice. I, I don't know. House handles, very nice. I mean, I, I wonder whether um, whether that element of it being a documentary about her dad... It is actually of, a documentary. I mean, it's, it's a documentary about it, your own dad. Is her name right? Emily, did you say? Sarah Dean. Sarah, 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 Sarah Dean. Sarah, yes, it is a documentary about Sarah. Sarah's dad. His name is John. <laughs> I don't, know. don't know, but it, Mr. Dean. Mr. Dean. It is based based on Mr. Dean's life. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Dean. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah. 
Indeed. Mr. So Dean. to bring things to a close, um, and I often try to segue this question, yeah. uh, kind of sew it in more seamlessly. It, it's always abrupt. Are you happy? Yes. Pause. No, I am. What? Yeah. That's a good question. Am I happy? Yes. What am I then meant to say after that? Well, no, no, no. I just like being quiet in case no, the, the no. silence provokes Do people. people ever so every so often tears? someone will go... Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes there's a yes and then a big pause. And my folks, do you know the Pajama Men? Yes. You know the sure. the sketch. Sure. So Shanoa from the Pajama Men said one of my favourite ones. He said, "Yeah, no." <laughs> there's a lovely kind of. Oh, uh, am I experience. happy? What, I, what I is am it? Happy? Yes, I am happy. What is it that makes you most happy? Speaking specifically about work, what do you find most satisfying? When do you feel most like I'm doing the thing I'm here to do? Um, here, doing the thing that the Lord <laughs> blessed me to do. <laughs> the the Tavu oh, himself. Tavu himself. <laughs> the Lord God. Um, I think, I don't know, there's different stages. So writing a script and and being getting to the end. I think part of it for me is sometimes I do, yeah, I get to the end and I think, oh, I managed to sort that one out. I got to the end and it, I think it works. So that's a nice feeling, getting to the end. Um mm-hmm. Finishing filming, filming is is quite long, and when that ends, I'm like, oh, we've done it all. It's, it, and then, yeah, and I love editing. Editing's great. It's just me, Martin, director, and Pete, the editor on this. Just three silly men in a room, mucking around. But just yeah, when the show's right and you've had notes and you made it better and better and it's finished, and you think, oh yeah, that's kind of how I saw that in my head. And these, you know, these guys have made it even better. Mm. That feels good. Yeah, and. Weirdly, I enjoy watching it on TV. I just like watching because always like watching. Not, I don't ever watch them again, but the night it goes out, you know, when Look Around You was on, or anything, or Staff, or whatever, anything I've worked on, I just do like, mm. I do like TV and I just like that whole experience. So, yeah, that's nice watching it on TV. Although I never laugh, I just sort of go, oh, yeah, that's that bit worked. Yeah, it sort of worked. I'm not sure about that bit. It's more like that. My <laughs> wife is like, shh, be quiet, shut up. It's kind of like that. Yeah, those bits are good. Yeah. So I'm very Thanks, happy. I'm the happiest person you've <laughs> ever met. <laughs> Thanks, man. Fan. Now I've got a reply to that. Bless you, Stu. <laughs> Blue. <laughs> What a joy. What a joy. <laughs> that was Robert Popper. And uh, I'm so pleased he played along with my thanks, man. Um, if that meant nothing to you, then uh, you've not been listening hard enough. Check out Look Around You online. And of course, the new series of Friday Night Dinner is we're well into the swing of it now. Um, I've been catching up with that and it's really fun. It's one of those shows, the more you watch it, the more you get out of it because the, the in-jokes and the running jokes become more and more apparent. Really, really good fun. Um, you can go to robertpopper.com or at Robert Popper to follow his uh, social media. He's very, very funny on Twitter. So check that out. Thank you to Robert. Thanks to you for listening and sharing this episode and reviewing it favourably on iTunes, especially if you are outside of the UK where uh, it's always good to... Like, the, the reviews are only country-based. So if you're in the US or wherever you are, if you review it on iTunes, it helps make it a lot more visible. 
Um, thank you to Robert Smouten for the music. Your podcast consultant is Pete Dobbing. Uh, thank you to Nathan Wood for producing the show and Jake Crossland for doing the logging. And thank you as well to my uh, cohorts on infinitesofa.com, Callum Morin, who's helping me with some of the twitchy aspects of it, uh, and David Hoare, who is fast becoming my Pilkington. And what a joy it is to make him explain himself and then mute him live during the show. Um, so also you must check out Chops Comedy online. Uh, go to chopscomedy.com and uh, you will see some incredible stuff we're doing Tuesday nights at 8 I'm often but not always the host we've got some great guests coming up for you and again we're using that same sort of technology that uh, well that that listen I'll talk to you about it in the post app, but I'll talk to you about the technology. But it, what it means is we can do. People just keep saying, "Oh wow!" The comics keep saying, "That's the that's the warmest gig. That's the thing most like a gig I've done." You're giving me hope, and so we're really proud to be part of that. InfiniteSofa.com to find out about the uh, the chat show on Monday and Thursday nights, and that's all for now. I'll I'll post ambulate you in just a second, but that concludes the podcast. Um, remember the extra content, uh, 30 minutes of, uh, of Robert on uh, Peep Show and a disagreement, his one big disagreement with the, the creators of Peep Show um, and also a real toolkit for wasting people's line by droning on in a silly voice on the phone. Bye for now. Oh, where to begin? Where to begin? OK, so here to begin... I had... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a confession. I had a, a horrible night ten nights ago on a Saturday, I had a horrible night of jealousy and envy because I had spent three weeks working away with help, but with a lot of determination and experimentation and trying to be lean and agile, you know, like in business talk, and trying to hastily invent or discover, discover, invent, but both, um, a way to do gigs online in a way that would be warm and atmospheric and fun. And I thought, you've got look, you've got the Zoom technology. You can put people in a room. You can perform to them. You can make sure there's ways of tweaking it. There's ways of finding out how you spotlight people and 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 uh, how you give certain people's audio precedence. I'm not a techie person at all, but I really had this kind of burning desire to make it work, which I realise now was I've referred it on previous episodes to that very manic first week I had of lockdown. Kind of like I've got the live work. And a tiny part of me in the back of my brain was going, dopamine, dopamine, you need to gig, you need to gig, you need to and not just say stuff. I did a few gigs like that where you just say stuff to no one. But even the gigs where you say stuff to one person, you're having a more gig-like environment. So working on this thing, trying to make it work, was incredibly creative and exciting and thrilling. And throughout, I had this sense of like, we've just got to get there first. I've just got to get there. I've got to hit the button and go, there we go, I've invented this. And then on uh, the Saturday night, uh, week before last, uh, I discovered that, uh, of course, everyone was inventing it simultaneously. <laughs> and I had a real, a real hour and a half of being angry at the world thinking, oh, like, you know, the way, you know, the way Rob Delaney kind of bagsied Twitter in the early days. He just found a voice on Twitter that was so funny and succinct and contemporary. And it's all about getting there first, isn't it? Being the person that goes, this new media, bang, this is mine, I own it. And I suppose I had allowed myself to desire. <laughs> you're always happier when you're free from desire. I had allowed myself to get stuck into that desirous state of going, I can do this. I can invent the thing. People will call it the goldsmith technique. I don't, I never had that as a conscious thought, but I'm kind of parodying there the sort of, uh, no, I think I had it as a conscious thought and I wanted it to be mine. And then I realised, of course, everyone, like every comic was sat at home trying to make the thing work and other people got there 
not not in exactly the same way, but made a functioning thing work sooner than I did and bagsied it and went woof. And um, of course, that's happening all over the world. And of course, if hey, here's a tip. Dungeons and Dragons, right? I mean, we were three weeks into working this and I, I talked to Dave, uh, David Hoare and Tony C of, of Chops Comedy Online um, and uh, Tony pointed out that rather than working hard on it for three weeks, we should have just realised early doors that the Dungeons and Dragons community have been going hard on multiple Zoom chats that are visible online for five years. So we really could have just done that and piggybacked onto all of that. But uh, what a time. What a time to be alive. What an incredibly exciting time. And I'm pleased to say I did pretty quickly get over that crushed feeling of going, I've invented... like It's like kind of, you know, the simultaneously invention of the... Uh, of the TV or electricity or my history is not really as good as it should be. You know, the invention of history. Everyone invented it at the same time. How annoying. Um, So I got over that hump, but I wanted to share with you because it was the most craven I'd felt for a while. And I thought, uh, (laughs) I thought it would be good to get it off my chest. I was so angry. I was so angry and hurt. I was like, no, this is my thing. Of course, everyone, and particularly people with fewer children than me, possibly even zero children, uh, who consequently have a hundred times as much time, just got to the thing first. But having said that, no one is doing the infinite sofa. That is mine alone. And anyone that's been on it, I would like, I'm going to check in with the comics who've been on it, who've said such lovely things about it. I don't know if I can. It's polite to ask before I quote them. But the sorts of things people are saying are that's the nearest to a, a real gig that I've found. You're doing good work here, and I am, and we are, and I hope you come along and see it. I'm so, so excited about it. But it is basically, it's that. Here, here's the big revelation for me. The You know why I like Edinburgh. I've talked to, uh, about this at length. You know the, the way in which I, I sometimes have felt that I, I don't, I naturally, my natural predisposition is not to dream big enough. Right. I kind of lots of hugely successful celeb comics that I know went to Edinburgh years ago and went, how can I use this as a springboard to massive success? I went to Edinburgh, fell in love with the concept of the whole thing and went, how can I make sure I'm here every year for the rest of my life? And that's two different mindsets. Right. And that's very reductive. But for the purposes of the point I'm making, um, that's I kind of thought like that. Then what I realized is in this time of crisis that. The internet now has allowed us, particularly when everyone's at home, particularly when everyone's focused on it, but crucially, not just when everyone's at home. It's like the Edinburgh Festival, 24-7, forever. There are people out there and all you need to find, all you need to do is find a way of digitally standing on a street corner and hustling flyers into people's hands. And there is an audience there and they're global and they're always awake and it's Edinburgh. The internet is the Edinburgh Fringe forever, right? I mean, when I realised that, oh my God. (laughs) I mean, that's the beginning of the end. I realise that's the beginning of the end of any kind of rest or relaxation. But God, even thinking of it now, you've got to chip the smile off my face with a chisel. My God. So I'm full of energy still. And also, and I wanted to just, while we're sort of focusing on some of the downsides, my God, I had uh, two days ago, Easter Monday, I had a horrible, horrible backslide of a day of mental health. So look, we'll we'll finish on this. Um, I've really, thank you so much, wife, for helping me through that and dealing with me in the right way. But I, uh, I really, having had all of this 
I'm not going to keep calling it mania, but I've been getting super busy getting things done and having so many projects at once. The working lunches that I'm doing, comedianscomedian.com slash lunch, that has blossomed into a thing where I'm doing almost like professional development with newer comics. It's not, I'm not writing jokes with people. I'm not directing anyone. I'm just trying to get under the skin of what what's in, the, you know, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to help people remove the obstacles between them and their funnier self. It's like a sort of micro comcom experience. Those have been filling my time as well. I'm getting multiple things off the ground. I'm really proud of how much energy I've been putting into it. But of course, it's been allowing me to not focus on the scarier aspects of the pandemic. And it's been allowing me to just kind of indulge my need for this, this, whatever this is, this sort of voracious, let's have ideas and do ideas thing. You know, as much as that is hard work and and noble work and necessary noble question mark work and necessary work because I'm trying to find other ways of, of paying the mortgage. Also, it's it's uh it's it's good for my mental health. I don't know if it's sustainable, but it's definitely good. Whereas having had the two days, the Friday the uh, Easter Saturday, Good Friday, and then I had Saturday, and then I had Sunday, and suddenly I'd had two or three days of not doing eight hours work in six hours. And um and as a result, I just had this enormous crash on Monday. And God, it was like, oh, I'm back here again. You know, the wetsuit full of cold water. Just weirdly, it was like a just an emotional thing. I wasn't even having negative thoughts. I was trying to think my way out of it as I normally would. And it's been so long, really, since that happened that um, I'm, I'm out of practice at the mental jujitsu required to get yourself out. But it also, it wasn't just negative thoughts. It was a real emotional state. I just felt bereaved. I felt like I'd just woken up, had some terribly bad news, and it just, it was just like a, like an angry fur coat. <laughs> you know, an angry, sad fur coat with a still living animal that was sad to have been turned to a coat. Just wrapped around me and I felt so bad and down all day and it just reminded me of how hard it is when you're suffering with your mental health it reminded me of the more depressed periods of my life and the more anxious periods of my life and so if you are going through one of them now I don't know what to tell you I mean I, I bounce back out of it the next day I've always been lucky I'm so flighty I'm so up and down that I get out of it quick and I'm very lucky in that respect, but there have been times when it's been harder to get out of. And I know there are people listening to this now who are much closer to that feeling in a much longer and sort of permanent feeling way. So I don't know what I can say to make it better, but I get it, man. <laughs> I hear you, man, lady, person. I, I, I get it. And if you want to leave a message, uh, they've got this new message thing now. I've got this uh, comedianscomedian.com slash speak. You can record a little two-minute message. If you don't want it broadcast, it doesn't have to be. But if you want to reach out, um, if you are down, I will do my best. I'll send you a little video message and try and perk your day up. I'll do anything I uh, reasonably can to try and remind you right now, you, that you are worth something and that it will get better and that you will feel better and that it will be all okay, because it will. What did they say on the Kermode, the Wittertainment podcast? It's all right in the end. If it's not all right yet, it's not the end. What a beautiful sentiment. And just so that we don't finish on an entirely <laughs> ponderous and poignant moment, um, I've also been very much enjoying... I mean, I don't get any time for, for TV anymore, but the, we get one episode a night, if that, if I'm not gigging. 
Um, we're watching, me and my wife are on season three of Ozark. It is brilliant. It may even be better than the first two seasons, which is, say, something a big fan of Ozark. But I've also, like, once every fortnight, I'm getting to catch up with Westworld season three, which I love. And I'm, of course, listening to This Doesn't Sound Like Anything to Me, which is the Westworld companion podcast from the makers of Boars Gore Swords, which is one of my favourite podcasts. Um, and uh, Red Scott and Ivan Hernandez are getting their teeth into Westworld and... The honestly, I laughed so much because I really associated it with me. They were talking about when um, when androids are messy. Like that is when we know. I think I'm, I'm misquoting here, but I was saying that's when we know. Uh, that's when we will know that we have cracked AI when we're able to develop realistic androids who are garbage people who love drama. <laughs> and I really thought that as I was being all dramatic and miserable and sad and self-involved on. Uh, on Easter Monday. So check that out if you're a sci-fi fan. Watch Westworld and I highly recommend um, uh, This Doesn't Sound Like Anything to Me, which is a, a companion podcast. It's very, very funny. That's all of that. Do tune in, infinitesofa.com to find all the links to watch Infinite Sofa online. There's loads of chat and strategy about it in the Slack uh, app if you're in the Insiders Club and in the Comedians Comedian Podcast Facebook group if you are not. Great guests coming up soon. Um, that's all that. Thanks for listening. That was a ramble, but that's, you know, that was a post-amble. Bye for now. 